That was like a random concert they went to or something. Yeah, why were your parents banging in April? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hey there. We are Kimmy, Kayleen, and Courtney. We're just three regular gals who love talking about film, and now we'd like to talk to you. We've decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even a third as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Everyone listening, this is a new kind of episode. We talked about it last week, but this is a little swippity swap that we're Whoa. doing. Well, flippity flop. <laughs> oh, new phrases. <laughs> Ooh, new phrases. Um, <laughs> we're just like crazy now. Um, <laughs> so, as you should know by now, if you've been listening, there's this other podcast called Take Three, a movie podcast with our boys that uh, refer to us as their aunts. So they, in turn, are our nephews. Mm-hmm. And we decided a while back to do a collab, and this is it. So we're swapping formats this week. Welcome to the collab. Woo! Who wants to tell everyone what it is? We are going to be doing a discussion on the movie The Lobster by Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes, and our intro... Should have told you how it goes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and on the other side, um, the Take 3 movie podcast regulars, um, they're going to be doing our format for We Explain Movies on their channel, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to explain the entirety of The Lobster. So we recommend going to listen to that before you come over here. Yes. Unless you've seen The Lobster. Yes. But either way, listen to both, because yes. they're going to have plenty of facts and fun things to discuss. Also, like, if you're, I mean, if you're used to listening to us a lot, if you've listened to a bunch of our episodes, you're gonna miss one. Like, it's, it's our, it's our episode. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to go listen to it. I, ideally, if you have a lot of time, I think the way it should go is listen to their episode, watch the movie if you've never seen it, because then you'll just have a little better of an idea, Mm -hmm. and then come listen to this. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy those next six hours. We'll see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) We'll wait right here. Crickets, crickets, lobsters, lobsters. Uh, It's also on Netflix, so it's easily accessible. Yeah, and it's excellent. Hope you've seen it, because we're about to dive right into it. Yeah. Yes. Take one. So these are our pre-movie thoughts before we go and watch it again. We've all seen this movie, I think. Just once? I've only seen it once. Yeah, I've only seen it once. So, yeah, Yeah. so we're on the same page. In theaters. We saw it in theaters. Did you see it in theaters, Courtney? No. You didn't? Oh, I thought you did. So when did you watch it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) When it was on Amazon. Okay. So it's been a few years for us, so probably for you too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're all like a little distant from it. What do you remember? Like, what do you remember feeling? I remember like thinking, you can do this? You're allowed (laughs) to do this in a movie? Like, he, that's what I'm so excited to do, uh, this version of, of the podcast for this film, because 
I've been asking myself these questions about Yorgos Lanthimos films since I watched them. We've literally had conversations like this. Yeah, like, yeah. what does he tell people? You know? Yeah. <laughs> what does he tell them on set? Like, this is the world I've created. These are all the cultural things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really excited to figure that shit out. And when I watched it for the first time, I was like, what does this mean? Yeah. What does it all mean? It's all, I hope it's all purposeful and he's not just like... And, and because we've seen multiple Yorgos films, all of us, we know that that is a, a thing he just brings to them all. Like, they could all exist the same universe. They could. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. The family from Dogtooth is definitely down the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Killing of a sacred deer. Yeah. yeah. Even the favorite, it's just in the past. It's just in yeah. the past. I feel like the favorite in terms of, like, cultural rituals is a little more reserved. It's different, yeah. Than, uh, like, the lobster killing of sacred deer and probably dog tooth, as mm-hmm. far as I know about it. Mm-hmm. When I watched it, that that was the thing that spoke yeah. to me the most, yeah. The language and the social norms is yeah. the biggest. And yeah. I love the social norms of it. But also the concept, you're only given a certain amount of time on this earth to find a mate, and mm-hmm. if you don't find one, you get turned into an animal? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. And an I like, animal. I like that you have to, like, think of why, too. People don't really choose ocean-based creatures. Yeah. Mm, wow, I just had this big instinct of I would want to be an ocean creature because I want to know what's up in the ocean, but at the same time, ocean creatures die like that. You'd be chomped up immediately. Right? Unless I guess a sea turtle's pretty good. Sea turtle. Maybe I'll be a sea turtle. Ooh, what would you be? Well, I could be a lobster, I suppose. <laughs> I would be a fox. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, why? Because I feel like I would be free to go about my business. I'm a predator, but not like a mean one. <laughs> How long do foxes live? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I'm beautiful, and um, I could find a friend. Maybe yeah. a nice hound. Oh my god. Do you know, Kimmy? Oh god, I don't. I don't know. We totally didn't prep for this, so this yeah. is like. Think no. of one now. I'm That's already... okay. Maybe if I take three, we'll know. And I'll come back with more fox facts. <laughs> yeah. I've already decided to be a sea turtle in two seconds, so sea oh. turtle. What, what else do you remember about the film? Uh, I, I mean, we've talked about this before on the pod, too, but I remember being annoyed at the ending. Yeah, I remember that was a huge thing. I'm excited. I liked it. Yeah, I'm excited again, for you to watch it for the lobster. I really did like the movie as a whole, and the ending doesn't make me not like the movie. I just felt that it was... I didn't think there was enough reason to give me a did-they-or-didn't-they ending. Um, yeah, so I am excited to see how I feel about it this time around, especially knowing ahead of time how everything goes. I don't know if it's too soon to discuss it or not, but I don't know if it's so much of a did-he-or-didn't-he ending, really. Oh, you think that there's a clear choice? I definitely think that there's like a sense of ambiguity I think uh, you're meant to choose for yourself. Because you can say that about everything. Like, unless you see it, you don't yeah. know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as Inception. You can tell me all the facts you want about whether or not he stabbed his eyes, but I didn't see it. No, yeah, no, so, that's that's true. Yeah. Before I come back with this, I want to watch it again. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, I remember liking it. I thought the style was really unique, and that makes me excited for all of his movies. Um, this is... It's hard to say if I like this better than The Favorite because they seem so different, whereas when I compare this to Killing of a Sacred Deer, it seems a lot more fair, and I liked this a lot better than that. I'm mostly excited to see it again because it's had room to breathe. I don't think it's a hugely rewatchable film. I wouldn't seek it out often, but I want to... I know there was a lot of humor in the weirdness Mm -hmm. and in the darkness, Yeah, and I'm excited to watch that. I also just remember really key scenes like the dog scene. Mm -hmm. I remember, I loved the character of the nosebleed girl, girl with nosebleeds. Yeah. Um, I loved their weird 
nighttime rave with headphones. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the wilderness people. Like, can we talk about that? How you yeah. can escape the resort and instead become, like, a wilderness person yeah. and pretend to have a spouse. It's and... like, but either... even that is still kind of a prison in itself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this whole world is built on, like, these societies that you can't escape. Which is what they end up, I mean, that's, like, ends up being the crisis because, yeah. well, fuck, I found my mate, but she's on the outskirts, so we can't mate, and it's like, you either have to go all or nothing. There's no middle. But for all we know, that's just how Ireland is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Irish. How am I supposed to say? <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah. I remember there being a lot of really disturbing elements to this film. Mm-hmm. Like, don't people jump out the windows and then die for, like, long periods of time and we have to watch the whole oh, thing? Oh, snap. I don't remember that at all. But people you could be right. jump out the windows, I right? So. And then we watch her, like, scream for, like, a really long time. I, that sounds right. There's that one chick who, like, tries to murder him. <laughs> remember? Yeah. The, the one that he turns into, no like... Feelings. Yeah. The girl... The, the, the dog scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the hot tub scene with them, too, I kind of remember. Mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know why it sticks out to me so much, just because it was it, to be, like, a fact, but it was just hysterical because of the commentary on society. They were talking about, like, the rules of the resort or whatever, and then they go, and if your marriage isn't working out, we assign you a kid. I'm like, that's so <laughs> that's good. That's hysterical, yeah, right? That's <laughs> pretty funny, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, the whole, I want to be in the room for the pitch of this movie. Yeah. yeah. If you don't get married, we turn you into an animal. And then, like, some producer's like, how? And Yorgos goes, you can. The room where they do it. (laughs) You just do. But what does this machine look like, room? It is door. (laughs) Yorgos, what are you? Door. Door. Lobster. Door. Okay, but would you consider maybe a more pleasant animal, Yorgos? Lobster. (laughs) I'm not putting dog in a title for another one of my movies. I would like to, when we get to the take three, I, I'm wondering if there's anything online about casting, mm. you know, or if it was always... I mean, he has his darlings. Yeah. He loves Rachel, he loves Colin. Yeah, yeah but also, but I'm, I'm more thinking, like, your celebrity crush, um... John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, how did he get involved I'm in this? I'm smirking over here. <laughs> and the maid... And and that the scary lady who yeah, I think that's it for take one. And that's it. That's <laughs> it. Here we go to watch this movie. <laughs> take two. We literally just watched this movie. We watched it. We paused it. We moved the couch. Put the mic in the room. And now we are ready. Yeah. Just anyone immediate thoughts following this good movie. It is very good. Love it. I immediate thoughts that I am thinking about are that. I really like the time spent at the hotel, and as important as I think the second half of the movie is, I think it's less fun to watch than the first half, and it's also less funny. And the first half had me cracking up a lot more than I remember. Yes, that uh, that was my initial thought as well, is that it was way funnier the second time around than the first time. I remember it being funny, but I just, like, forgot how funny. I laughed a lot. I did laugh a lot in the second half, and I just love that the second half truly is a second half. Rachel Weiss doesn't come in until the one hour and 45 second mark. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. To be crazy. To be the narrator and, like, top mm-hmm. billing at this, and then to just come in later, and it's, we know you're in it, Rachel. Yeah. Where are you? I think just, this was the very first Yorgos Lanthimos film that I'd ever seen. Same. Saw Same. in theaters. I was watching it with the initial thoughts of... What the fuck is this world? Mm-hmm. Why are people speaking like this? 
what are the rules? Yeah. It is really dark. It's it I would think it's fair to say that it's a dark comedy for, oh, sure. for sure. But this time around I just knowing what was coming, I kind of was able to enjoy the comedy bits more. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's really clever because it is so funny. Yeah. It is so funny and people who go and watch this movie and don't recognize the hilarity of it, I feel bad because that's such... <laughs> I feel bad for them. Yeah. I'm sorry, you feel what? You feel that's unfortunate? <laughs> I think it's unfortunate that people wouldn't recognize that. I, I have a feeling that there's a large amount of people who do and those are probably so the people who don't enjoy the movie. Going out on a limb here, 90, 95% of the comedy is all just really simplistically stated things. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just observations. And to some people I think it's too dry. Yeah. To palate. What I liked about watching this a second time is that I felt a lot more analytical this time around, especially and all of us had this reaction. The very first shot of this movie is a woman we never see again shooting a donkey. Yeah. And for those of us who have seen it already, we're like, I bet that was like an ex-lover of hers. But for new audience members going into the movie, you're not going to know what is happening. You know what else I love? And I hope that we can get into a little bit more of, like, the filmmaking and cinematography aspects of this film, which I think are incredible. Yeah. Is that they do all the opening credits, smash cut to the action. Like, prior to any title sequence or anything like that, we're in. It's so jarring. And that's really how this movie feels, too. And, like, just the way that they talk and interact with people. It's very jarring and up front and stuff and then smash cut and it's over and it's the lobster and i was gonna say what was my favorite smash cut i know there was one to the dancing i loved that yes yes to the dancing (laughs) where it's it's just suddenly you're watching an (laughs) all-out banger of a scene it's like you don't love your wife yeah a couple held at gunpoint proving that couples have no loyalty and that loners are all it's about rave time rave in the woods um I'll say that since mine are in chronological order, I'm just going to like say one and then let you guys talk and then Perfect, pipe back Perfect, I have stuff that's in chronological okay. order as well. First of all, upon my first watch of this film, I did not realize that Colin Farrell is coming off of a 12-year marriage mm. and that his wife has left him. Mm. For some reason, I thought, oh, I, I people come to this. That. Like, I bet really? you did know that. I just forgot. Yeah. I, I don't know, because for some reason I thought people come to this place from being single. I'll say my second note, because I do have one before this, but my second note and what I really want to research for take three is how much time do you get in the real world to find somebody? Yeah. Because Colin and John were already married. John lost his wife, Colin's wife left him, but Jessica Barden is a child yeah. and she's coming to this hotel. I bet it's 18. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. You think it's because, 18? I bet. I mean, maybe if she's there and it's, it's just like... It's either 18 or 21 because she's like, in real life, she's like, I think filming this movie, I want to say she was like 20. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so she's so. really baby and she reads her friend that letter of like, yeah. at the prom, no boys wanted us. Yeah. And it's like, was that your only shot? Seriously. Yeah. The prom? Yeah. The woman or John C. Riley, one of them said, oh, my husband died this many days ago. So they were thrust right into this. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Also, being in a partnership shows you all the benefits that you... It's generally looked at as a benefit of being in a partnership rather than being in solitude, right? And they even, like, do that montage, the skits of them. This is what it's like when you are alone. Bad things happen to you. You will choke and then get raped and then you will die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is... It was a really funny scene, but... 
What also I saw is, and I couldn't remember this from the first watch, but Colin Farrell's trying to rub the pain yeah. relieving bomb on his back, and I was like, hmm, you know what? I bet that's way easier with a partner. Totally. And it's just shown how much more difficult your life is in solitude rather yeah. than with a partner when in especially in our current day being on your own and independent is thought of as like a strong trait yeah and I just thought that was really interesting and that's still very recent for our history to have mm-hmm. that be a strong trait and not oh that's a bummer for you yeah that's true Mm-hmm. You know? Oh goodness! I found that really funny because I'm I'm watching this and it's like yeah they are kind of just doing menial tasks together, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely adorable and so sweet <laughs> yeah. because it's like yep that's the only part of my back that I can't reach. How funny it would it be if instead of like instead of him asking her questions like what's your blood type are you short sighted if he goes. Have you seen Breaking Bad? Yes. Damn it. (laughs) Have you seen Dexter? Yes. Damn it. That's cute. Backtracking a little bit with my notes, I just, I I really appreciated how there is no in-between in this world. Mm -hmm. Even if you're, even if you're with the couples, you have to be in a couple. And even with your loners, you have to be with the loners. Otherwise, you'll get something like the red kiss of death, pretty much. It's established very early on with Colin Farrell asking if there's a bisexual option. You cannot be bisexual, and you can't even have a half-size in shoes. Yeah. He mm-hmm. wants a 44 and a half size shoes, and it's like, no, mm-hmm. you cannot be in between anything. I would like to know where this movie is supposed to take place in the movie world, not in real life. Because there's tons of accents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't make people conform to one accent. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Weren't you saying that you were reading that you... I asked when um, he's in bed with the psychopath what she's reading, and it says a brief history of yeah. Europe. Yeah. I wonder if it's, like, a world where Europe has no longer existed, and it's like, here's what Europe used to be, but now we're just a conglomerate, a conglomerate of, of yeah. everybody. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe maybe this is just in the future. I would like to find out how they change people into animals or try to make something up. I know they kind of describe it, but... I like when Colin Farrell goes, yes, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Your brain won't fit in a lobster's head. And also, the brain is really where it's all at. Pretty much the brain is all that you need to have transferred. And again, my brain will not fit in a lobster head. Hmm. I wonder if maybe if it's all a lie. I think it is. I think that the information that he was giving was probably rumor or something made up. To maybe scare them or something or seem cool. Do you get... Whoa. What if there's a bunch of animals and so when his brother was turned into a dog, they just gave him a dog? They just killed his brother and gave him a dog. Well, I kind of hope that there's some kind of, like, still mystical aspect to this. But there might not be. I do too, but how interesting would that be if there wasn't? Hmm. Yeah. There's just, like, a basement full of animals... Especially with how literal this whole world is. It's like, why on earth would magic exist behind a certain door? It seems like... no one even knows how to lie. Not magical, per se, but just something a little bit heightened. Face-off logic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because everything seems very scientific, like the way that they describe the surgery, if that happens to be true. I love that this is inciting so much discussion because I feel like there will be no answers found. I there feel like be. there will be no answers <laughs> Something found. I really want to find an answer to or just debate. The defining characteristics is probably my favorite aspect of this film. Because Good. We, I'm glad you're talking about that. We did pause it to have a discussion of what is your defining characteristic. Oh, yes. yes. But it's very interesting that all of them are specifically flaws of I have a lisp, I have a limp, my nose bleeds, I'm short-sighted. Yeah. And you know what I wrote down is, I bet you the smile girl never finds anybody. 
there's that woman who goes, oh. my defining characteristic is my beautiful yeah. smile. You find someone with the same flaw as you so that you know that's the same thing you have. No, like, like I'm not going to marry somebody where it's like, oh, you have this flaw, I don't, but you're going to pass that on to our kids. Mm-hmm. Instead, you find someone with the same flaw, so it's like, okay, I guess we both have glasses, our kid's going to need glasses. You know what you're getting. I would have passed that on anyways. I, I like this, this train of thought and discussion. However, I do still feel that it's just like this survival instinct. That exactly. They're Darwinian, like, yeah. But but not even like a weaning out of certain traits, but of we have to find something in common or mm. I'll be turned into an animal. And so it's something so basic that he was like, the blood type was going to be okay for him. He said, what's your blood type? She said B, and he seemed upset and left. It's like... <sighs> We just have to have something in common, please. Don't you speak German? No. Yeah, like, I guess I, I can guess, teach you. But you won't learn fast enough, never mind. Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing I can have is maybe if I cut out my eyeballs, too. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really interesting that finding, finding defining characteristics between you two, regardless of if they're positives or negatives, is the thing that shows that you're a match. Because I feel like a lot of times people seek partners who have different interests than them yeah opposites attract I mean there's certain appreciations and stuff that you would hope a partner were to have about your life but if you're exactly the same that can cause a lot of problems Ooh, this is this is for listeners who this episode hasn't come out yet at the time we're recording this but this kind of ties to our children of the corn discussion of like they're making this whole cult around their childish notions of what religion and faith is like they don't really have an understanding of it and they think they do and that's kind of what this whole film feels like it's almost like a child would see two people together and go oh well they must be in love because they have these things in common but they that's not have really, brown hair yeah that's not really what love is about it's not about finding things in common it's about loving who that person is as a whole <sighs> I think that that's really important to talk about, and one of the things that I want to find out the most about is how these worlds that Yorgos creates, like, what they're based on, Mm -hmm. and I think that this film and his other films, all the characters do have a sense of curiosity and naivety and childlike qualities mixed with being really, really sexualized and, and, like... And mature in some areas and really childish in others. And I just. That also ties to the honesty thing. Yeah. I also think that a large majority of these characters are extreme realists. They are honest because they know that in reality it's not going to help anybody Mm -hmm. if they lie. Because they do, they can lie. Yeah. Which makes. Oh, I adored the fact that he lies to her in the end. When, when he just, not even discussing the very final shot of this movie, but him giving her the tennis ball and she touches yeah. it and says, Kiwi, and he says yes, and it's like, no. So that's why I always thought he was just going to lie about cutting his eyeballs out. Mm. I, I didn't even consider that he just left. Yeah. I really didn't consider that, because he loves her. But I guess there's three ways to think of this movie. But Either it, he cuts his eyes yeah. and blinds himself, he lies forever saying he's blind, Or um, he runs away. And because it kind of seemed like he gave up on her. She says, Mm. you haven't brought me any rabbits. You haven't done the the touch guess game with me. So 
I wouldn't be that surprised if he left her. Also, I, listeners, I you need to see this movie, otherwise you're not going to understand anything <laughs> yeah. we're talking you about. You know, Kiwis, tennis balls, touch guests. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up, Courtney, because I don't know if he really loves her in the end. I don't know if, you know... We I, don't know anything. No. It's all up to interpretation. <laughs> no, but um, this is, like, a cool discussion to think about, is that I think that the end is highly up for debate and not as ambiguous as seems because you're right. I think he does seem to give up on her kind of mm-hmm. after she is blinded. But even in that moment, he's asking her questions like, I want to see your elbows one last time. Yeah. I want to see this one last time. Yeah. She seems like the perfect person for him throughout most of the movie after they meet. But when she attains a flaw that he can't reciprocate, she suddenly seems like a burden and... Not to mention the fact that she's blind and just physically, especially like living in the woods, that is really difficult and to like live on with. The run, yes, right. That's why nobody—not to say nobody, but why people's relationships are failing because one speed bump comes along, which of course, mm-hmm. being blind is a huge speed bump. But I'm thinking one speed bump comes along and you realize, oh, we actually don't have something in common anymore. End of relationship. It's like in Friends, the one time that Monica and Chandler fight and he leaves and thinks they're broken up. She goes, no, that's a fight. Jim and Pam broke up after their first fight. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Colin Farrell's character is a really caring person. I don't think that he's malicious because, you know, he's stacked up against that other woman who is entirely malicious. So I think he really cares up to a point. Yeah. You know, because he's willing to lie with that horrible woman woman to um, have a relationship and kind of save them both and not hurt other people's feelings. So I don't know necessarily if him taking care of Rachel Weisz's character at the end and making sure that she's okay is an aspect of their love and their relationship and him caring for her. I think that he's setting her up to do the best that she can without him. Without him. Yeah. Hmm. I came out of this movie the first time and the second time thinking that he doesn't poke his eyes out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Definitely when you said that you thought it ended uh, certainly, I thought you thought he did it. No, I think that he doesn't poke his eyes out Mm. and he leaves her. So I've come out of it both times thinking that he doesn't poke his eyes out, but that he fakes it the rest of life. That's really interesting. And Kayleen has changed her mind both times she's watched it? I will say, on my second watching, I do like the ending better than I did the first time. But I think it's because the entire movie for me has gotten a lot more ambiguous, which makes the ending feel like it fits more. Whereas the first time I watched it, having all this information being fresh, it felt like things were a lot more straightforward and the ending was the only part up for discussion. So I think there's just something about this extra knowledge that makes me like the idea of it could be anything. Right, because we mm-hmm. don't know why the society exists this way. Yeah. We don't know why they've been turned mm-hmm. into animals. I, yeah, I think he dips. I think that's my okay. opinion. Yeah. I love that that didn't never occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that your theory your, never occurred to me. Ne- mine never occurred to you, and it's just kind of like, yeah, there's yeah. three options because there's definitely think he's... three of us hosting this podcast, <laughs> and there's three takes. I this definitely week. think he's too much of a sissy to poke his eyes out. <laughs> I, I do as well. Yeah, I think it's too much of an unnecessary risk, and it's like. I hope maybe he has this moment of clarity where it's like, the world is not this black and white. I have one more question before I'm ready for... Yeah, I have um, a couple more things. uh, I have like two more things. Okay. let's, Let's say our final thoughts before round three right now. Final thought. 
What do you guys, this is definitely a question for take three, so you don't have to answer it now. Okay. What do you think is the animal that no one wants oh, to yeah. be? Oh yeah, that was, yeah. that was one that we, while watching this movie, we decided we all should solidify what animal we want to be, mm-hmm. and what animal we each individually think is the one that no one wants to be. Um, Other thoughts, Kimmy? No, that's all I have. Oh, okay, cool. Kayleen? I would like to do some research, and of course we all can, but... I would like to educate myself more just in general on cinematography Mm. because I always, it evokes such feelings and I have such a hard time talking about it. I just like can't put into words what the visuals are doing inside of my brain Mm. because all that I could think during this is that the color palette for all the hotel stuff and for all the wood stuff are both so unique, but each, yeah, each place that they have and even when they are in the city it's kind of still a similar I guess it's more of a cool vibe whereas it's more warm when they're at the hotel but just being at that resort makes me feel like I'm on the harbor like maybe I'm in Boston or someplace like that and it just makes me want to go on a vacation (laughs) and those are the only things that I can think to form into words and I would just like to do some more research on the choices that the movie made Honestly, cinematography. the more filmmaking that I do, the more stuff that I notice that mm-hmm. you really aren't supposed to notice because some of the best uh, cinematography and camera work is the stuff that you're not supposed to mm-hmm. take notice of. Like it's just supposed to make you feel away. way. Yes. So something I, I'm like really proud of myself for noticing upon this watch in terms of cinematography is when he is fleeing from the psychopath mm-hmm. um, yes. and they're, they've left, he punches her in the stomach and he's running away from her. He runs down that cool set of stairs that parts two ways. Yeah. yeah. And then when he's going down one by himself, he's still mirrored and there's a mirror right next to yeah. him. Yeah. It's just kind of like you can't, escape it you're always destined to be with another person yeah. because you're not allowed to just divulge and go cool. down a different path you somebody's gonna come and get you mm-hmm. and you have to be with somebody and so yeah. it's either you're with a partner in this mirrored staircase or you're with yourself in this mirror and it's like the hotel or the loner squad you gotta mm-hmm. choose That's and a good they, shot. they even have that moment where they're shooting targets and they say notice how the targets are single people mm-hmm. the things that i would like to discuss and look more into in um, take three is just the idea of animalistic instincts. Humans are animals in a sense and our instincts in this case we have so much more abilities than let's say like a dog or a monkey where we can lie and match up with people to to um, conspire. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because all of them still are trying to live and even even in like that couple with Olivia Coleman and her her partner in the in that scene it's just kind of like even in that moment, you're willing to betray and you're willing to um, abandon somebody if it means saving your skin. Ooh, you saying that makes me really... Because obviously I think there will be a lot of overlap with actual film stuff amongst us. So this kind of makes me want to branch out and say that like my, my side project, aside from that, will be... Maybe I can study like relationship or child psychology. Nice. How that compares to how they behave. Off air, we're going to have a whole bunch of talk about who's looking up what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, stick with gonna, us. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely going to be overlap regardless. Oh, like, no, I know, but yeah. like it's going to be fun to go our separate ways and yeah. like, dive into something else. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go with take three. Alrighty, guys. Um, this is like the part I think that we're all the most nervous for just because it's like 
First of all, there's a lot. There's a lot on this movie. There is. It's been out for a few years, so people have just had so much time to talk about it, and now we just had to go gather bits from all over. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that I pretty much shot myself in the foot with saying what I wanted to find out. Oh, yeah. Because I definitely didn't (laughs) find out any answers that I wanted to find out. Yeah. But I still found a lot of really cool information that is kind of like in the vein of what I wanted to discuss. That's pretty much how I felt, too. There were certain things I was kind of more trying to get, but I ended up getting similar things, but not the exact thing. Don't go looking for answers. Let the answers find you. (laughs) (laughs) So wise. Yeah, so I think we're going to start out with the kind of the basics, the numbers. So I did a little bit of um, research on box office and just some fun facts about that. Screen Junkies slash Phantom Entertainment has these really good videos called Charting with Dan, and I've, I'm not a really a, a big box office person. That's not really something I've ever sought out or studied or cared about, mm-hmm. really. Uh, but I've watched some of his videos, and, and he makes it look really interesting and entertaining, and so I kind of ha- had a little bit more knowledge to go off of when looking for this because of that. Um, so I just wanted to say that I did use Box Office Mojo for most of this and then did some calculations myself based on the info. So opening weekend, when this movie originally came out, it actually did not have a U.S. release. So this came out in October of 2015, but did not get a legitimate U.S. release until May 2016. Wow. When it came out over here, I imagine people had already heard about it, you know, it had already been to festivals and kind of gotten some buzz. Um, It made $190,000 opening weekend in the U.S., and it was only in four theaters. Okay, so that's okay. 47000 like, per theater. Yeah. I was going to say, that's not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but if it's right. only a release in four theaters, yeah. that's a, a lot. So that's a lot. Yeah. And and just like to kind of put it in perspective, Joker just made 22000 opening weekend per theater. Wow. 47000 is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Their overall budget for this film was four and a half million, and their total worldwide gross at the end of it was $15.5 million. of that was U.S., and 41.3% of that was international. Wow. Moving on. Everyone listening to this should definitely either have listened to the Take 3 AMP version where they explain the whole thing if you don't want to watch The Lobster, Mm -hmm. or watch The Lobster as well. And in this world, everyone who does not find a mate within 45 days is turned into an animal. So a fun part of the research uh, that I did was finding out what animal I would be, mm-hmm. which we posed as a question for all of us, but in doing that research, I found that the Lobster Movie website is still up and running, and you can take their quiz, which will pair you with three animals of your choosing after yeah. you take like a personality test. Um, mm-hmm. So what did you guys get for those? So <laughs> we've actually like talked about this on a previous podcast really briefly. But I got a fucking water bear. And I, I did think, too. I got you a water bear. Got water bear. <laughs> I love water bears. I think they're you, so scary I fucking and gross. hate water bears. I've hated water bears since seventh grade. What? Erin, okay. you know those, I don't know what they're called. They're like those those emojis of yourself. Those oh, drawings. Uh, bitmojis. Yes. Erin says bitmojis all the time. Bitmojis. I, <laughs> I was giggling. Erin says bitmojis of them with a water bear. Like the water bear's like playing a saxophone Ew. and Erin's like raising a fist. I yeah, just I find like, them so creepy. I For love people them. who don't know what a water bear is, it's not a bear that lives in the water. <laughs> it's not like a cute otter. A water bear is like a multi-legged, trunk-nosed <laughs> parasite. It's microscopic. Yeah. It's 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 but pretty they disturbing. Look like scary little fat 
I was very pleased with the lobster's website for including water bears. Right? Yeah. Wow. That was on your first try? You got the water bear? Yeah. Yeah. So that's so weird. Okay. They're just pushing the water bears, man. So I got water bear, penguin, and cat. Oh, I I didn't get cat. I got got penguin. I got got cat. You got cat? Yeah, I got a rabbit, a water bear, and a cat. Yeah. So of those choices, which one did you end up picking? Penguin. Penguin? I had a really tough time because I instantly knew I wouldn't be a water bear. I Oh, I chose water bear first. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd want to be a penguin. That just sounds fun. Like, cat would be cool too, but I think penguins, I didn't research this, but I felt like they maybe live longer, and that just sounds fun, like slide around on your belly in the Arctic. Yeah, they're cute. Between yeah. a rabbit, a water bear, and a cat, I chose a cat. I obviously didn't want to pick water bear, but <laughs> rabbits sound like too feeble of a creature and too... I don't want to offend anyone who likes rabbits, but dumb. Like, they, they seem like they're very vulnerable and aren't very smart to, like, get out of, like, victim situations. <laughs> so, and they kill them in the movie. Like, they kill them in yeah, the movie. That's so, true. like, that's probably not a good choice. So, that was definitely not your own personal choice. No, yeah, I, yeah, I picked, yeah. I picked yeah, my own animal. Choice. If I were at this Lobster World hotel and I didn't find a mate, I would choose to be an elephant. Oh, wow. This is because they live 50 to 70 years. Mm -hmm. They have been shown to exhibit their own self-awareness. They're very smart. They can learn to do uh, tricks and, like, art. They paint. And they recognize and protect their young, like, in human-like ways. Humans like them, and they are known to be social creatures. That's a very sweet choice. Yeah, they have funerals for one another, don't they? Yes. They do, yeah. Yes. So I, I I varied a little bit, but I pretty much stuck with what I said kind of as a joke in one of our earlier takes is that I want to be a sea turtle. And I, like, thought about it a lot, about all the reasons, and the only thing that made me almost not want to pick it is part of the reason I would want to be a sea turtle is because I am very curious about what else is in the ocean, but I wasn't sure how far down they can actually go. Not that I want to go to, like, the very floor of the ocean and the deepest part of the ocean or anything, but um, I found out that leatherback sea turtles can go down 3,000 feet compared to other sea turtles that can only go down about 500 feet. Wow. So I want to be a wow. leatherback sea turtle because they live for a while and they're cute, and I don't think they're, like, generally as um, attacked as prey as other creatures in the sea. Mm. And I just think that would be chill to swim around in the ocean and discover stuff about the ocean for the rest of my life. I had two. (laughs) (laughs) An honorable mention. You had to pick one. I know, but I'll give you my reasons, and I think by the end of my explanation I'll have... I'll have a definitive one, Um, because in our first take, I said fox, and I did, and I I found foxes are one of my favorite animals, and so I had some fun facts about them and everything, but they are less social creatures, um, but a female fox, you know, after mating season, will go and make a den for her litter, and then she'll raise her litter for about seven months, so, like, I would have a family briefly, (laughs) and then I'd be, like, back on my own, um, and and I would be beautiful and possibly domesticated, and humans like them, they're so majestic, you don't want to hurt them or anything. And they are very independent and self-sufficient, and so I do think I would like to be a fox. Hearing your guys' both responses, though, now, uh, my honorable mention and, like, my second one was an orca. Mm. Uh, I know a lot of orca facts, and they're just so social, and they're so emotional. And, and you and I could be friends. Well, I think we could be friends. So. Orca. We'll ditch Kimmy on the land. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to be an orca, I think, just because uh, females are typically the leaders of their pods. Mm-hmm. Be with a family. I would have the human-length lifespan. Um travel the whole globe, swimming, like, hundreds of miles a day, 
Uh, they can thrive in different types and temperatures of water, and they're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> My last fun facts about the animals in this world, and then what the director and actors had said about what they would choose if they could choose to be an animal. All three men on a panel that I watched, um, it was Yorgos, Colin, and Ben Wishaw, mm. who plays the limping man, David, and the director, respectively. They all picked birds. Yorgos and Ben Winshaw picked an eagle, and then Colin picked a falcon. (laughs) And then the two women that were on the panel that answered, the girl who plays Nosebleed Woman, and then Rachel Weisz, who plays, I think her name's Jessica Barden, and then Rachel Weisz, who plays Short-Sighted Woman, they both picked horses. The girl said a horse, and then Rachel, she said, um... (laughs) A pony owned by a 13-year-old girl. Oh. <laughs> that's adorable. And I thought that was really cute. Forever. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So those are what they said they would like to be turned into. You want to go talk about casting and auditions and stuff? Okay, yeah. So um, I did a little bit of um, research on casting and, like, the audition process. Rachel Weiss actually saw Dogtooth. And contacted Yorgos and mm. said, I would love to work with you. I would... Love to do it. I think your films are great. Please let me be in one. She was given the script for The Lobster and she originally declined the role because she read the script and she claimed that she wasn't imaginative enough to detect the tone of the piece. Mm. So that kind of says a little something about what his writing might be like. On the page. Yeah. And then apparently she had dreams about finding rabbits and stuff and so she called him up and she said, I can't stop. Thinking about this, please, can I have the rollback? And he was like, sure. For the audition process, I found a couple of fun things. For the favorite, Emma Stone in the audition room was asked to pant like she was giving birth throughout her entire lines. Love it. And Nicholas Holt, during his favorite audition, was asked to imagine that he was surrounded by a bunch of invisible force fields. Barry Kagan and Rafi Cassidy for Killing of a Sacred Deer were made to throw invisible tennis balls against the wall and pat their stomachs. Interesting. (laughs) Basically, what they all kind of discern from this is that it's part of distracting them from attaching emotions to the lines. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And he just wanted them to say them. They're not saying, oh, this is how I'm going to say it. He just wants to hear the lines. Um, Nicholas Holt, in an interview with Lanthimos, uh, said that there were actually a lot of games like that throughout the rehearsal process. And that he's not really sure how it affects performance. And Lanthimos uh, subsequently said, yeah, I have no idea either. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, something else that I read was that during the production of uh, The Favorite, they all went over their lines over and over again by rote so often that they had the whole script memorized when they began Excellent. shooting. And for people who don't know, by rote is just memorizing the lines as words and not with feeling or emotion and that kind of gives you some insight into why they speak the way that they mm-hmm. do. Going into some, you know, general Yorgos stuff, um, I think it's important to note that he is from Greece. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know that. Um, he got into filmmaking by directing commercials and music videos and short films. That. He actually left Greece because it was very impoverished and he he says that it wasn't a very good place to develop his filmmaking skills. There's just not a lot of opportunities and resources available mm-hmm. uh, to them. So when they moved to America to create his films, it was something where his films were better realized with what was available to him as far as filmmaking goes. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting, all the films that we think of, 
like Dogtooth, the lobster, killing of a sacred deer, they were all co-written with someone else named Athemus Philippou. Don't know if I'm saying these names correctly. It's funny because your ghost has a very Greek name too, but his just seems so much more... Phonetic. Yeah, than all <laughs> the other names I'm going to try to say today. Um, but Athemus Philippou writes, co-writes these with him. And then I went and looked at his IMDb, and he has three other films that he's written without Yorgos, all of which are Greek, mm. um, two of which look extremely avant-garde, like very similar style as The Lobster in those movies, but like even crazier. And then one kind of seems like it could be a Yorgos film. It's called Pity, and it, it kind of seems like the movie is, it's like this guy and his wife gets really sick, but then he starts to really like the attention he's getting from his wife being sick. So he's constantly trying to have bad things happen to him. Um, I also found there was this really cool video that IMDb made that I guess they do for a lot of directors. It's called Director Trademarks. And some of the things they pointed out are that in, and they would show scenes from multiple Yorgos films, they often have environments that are sterile or sterile looking, like mm -hmm. take place in a hospital or a really clean hotel, things like that. There's always blindfolds, which I didn't really realize, but there's one in... For sure. It's so killing a sacred deer, for sure. Right? Mm -hmm. And that there's a lot of below-the-waist shots, like, of, of people's lower halves without their faces in the shot. And then I also saw another video where they mentioned that. Yeah, so this is where I found out about the, where they kind of commented on how much he uses dance or even just odd movement. It's always really extreme for the most part, or just off-putting, like either to compliment or sometimes to contrast whatever's going on in the scene and like make you feel even more unsettled with what you're watching because it's not quite normal. It's just very like children trying to do theater almost. <laughs> Okay, and then I also just saw some things. Do you guys have anything on directing you want to say before I go into more of that kind of stuff? I found out that Yorgos has stated that he finds filming, the filming portion of filmmaking, extremely stressful mm. uh, because of its permanence and quick pace. You always, you're going, 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 and you shoot a scene, and it's like, oh, that's it, that's what's going to be in the film. Goodbye. There goes. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw a couple of Yorgos interviews and some interviews with the actors just talking about what it's like working with him. And he was just talking about how he just really likes to tell stories a certain way where he wants the audience to feel engaged the entire time and feeling like they have to grapple with all these things like humanity or morality, decision making, just kind of the things that make your mind work the entire time. You mm -hmm. can't just sit there and be complacent. You can't be looking away. But then at the same time, there's not really twists. It's not that kind of story where you're wondering what's gonna happen is it gonna trick me it's not that kind of thing it's just something that you're invested in from the beginning to the end and then it's over and it's like it was a meaty boy so you gotta think about it some more i saw something about colin farrell saying that as well where he's like there's hardly any giant climactic moment or yeah. anything it's just kind of like going through the sequence of events and y you have to deal with each of them yeah and maybe like with how complex everything is that keeps the actors more in their head and thinking, which you're not supposed to do as an actor. Totally. And so maybe that's how he gets these these kind of emotions to come out of them. It's like they have so much going on to think about that the last thing they're thinking about is how they deliver a line, right. maybe. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. Oh. And and he seems very precise, too. Like, John C. Riley was saying that he just seems like the kind of guy that has everything choreographed. If that chair is in the background of the shot, it's because it's supposed to frickin' be there, <laughs> you know? So maybe it's one of those things where there is so much going on and he's got every single thing picked out that at the end of 
the day, you kind of don't have time to think about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't really part of it, but um, I did find out that tone is a huge portion of um, discovering his stories and texts and stuff like that. And that apparently when he was directing Nicole Kidman on Killing of a Sacred Deer, he kept having to tell her, like, Nicole, you have to understand the tone. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. But I'm an actress! (laughs) It is really interesting because I think we said this in in take two, but I definitely laughed a lot more the second time watching The Lobster, catching the tone, realizing what that's all about. So, all right, I'm just going to dive into this. This is about voice and behavior of the characters in uh, The Lobster and and maybe other uh, films of his. Yorgo's characters often speak in monotone and they retrieve all their emotions and emphasis from their words rather than behavior, really. Mm -hmm. The tone of how they say it, it often feels like sarcasm, you know, and it creates a sense of anti-realism as you're watching the film. And some theories claim that, that he does this deliberately to alienate the audience uh, because the characters don't seem altogether real, so the themes, which are typically very dark and disturbing, are more palatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, if you're watching the film and you're ta- and it's done very seriously and realistically, I think it would be harder to grasp onto rather than this these kind of characters that we can set apart from ourselves. Yeah. I don't want to see Colin Farrell truly, really mourning his dead brother being stopped to death as a dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard enough. <laughs> yeah. When asked about his character's tendencies to deadpan, Yurgos is quoted saying this, I do enjoy awkwardness. I think it's an important feeling for people that maybe generate some kind of thirst to wonder mm. about things. As an audience member myself, I love to be in a position where I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to feel or if what I'm feeling is appropriate or not. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so the character of David, Colin Farrell's, he tends to pay women he meets in the film really stiff compliments. That's kind of the behavior of every character because the women do it in kind. The characters in The Lobster speak the way that they do because, and this is a theory, that they live in a society where every social interaction has incredibly high stakes because they're all always trying to find yes. a mate. Yeah. So it's theorize that this kind of demeanor is actually learned societally. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's such a emphasis on honesty and straightforwardness. Mm-hmm. Also, in that scene where it is their first time of poor women and men, they all had to wear the same dress and have the yeah. same outfit for this dance night. And it's like, what on earth is supposed to separate me exactly. then? Um, it makes it so neutral. But it also made it really kind of like animals on a savanna. Like, mm. they were looking at each other across the room, almost like a seventh grade dance, which yeah. is kind of like teenagers' first mating ritual and experience mm-hmm. with that. And it was just as awkward. And they still have to find a way to communicate with it. And it's just so sad when, like, one asks the other to dance and it just doesn't go well. Yeah. And Kayleen was like, if I were in this world, I would just go, like, balls to the wall and be like, let's do this. No? Okay, bye. Don't have anything to lose. <laughs> right? I was like, I find the hottest guy in the whole place and be like, you want to do this? And if he says no, I'd move on to the next hottest. Because <laughs> what else are you there yeah. for? And also, like, your life is on the line. Yeah. yeah. I think that that high-stakes situation is, is a really important way to look at the way that these people are raised in this world. Totally. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, every single thing that you do and every person that you talk to is got to get connected, yeah. got to be with somebody, I got to find who I'm going to be with, yeah. you know, it's got to be the right person. Like, every single 
I think that'd be really hard to like make friends because yeah. it's like why waste your time? Oh gosh, the three men talking to each other? Yeah. yeah they they Why are you wasting your time? <laughs> they toss them to the side as soon as they find a woman. It's uh, like who yeah. needs you? Paddington does. Paddington was <laughs> yeah. so mean to my yeah. husband John C. Riley. <laughs> and uh, John C. Riley, like, he just kinda knows he's not gonna get anybody, the lisping man, because yeah. like there's no one there with a lisp. And he says, like, let's all be birds together. Like, I want to be a parent. Do you want to be a parent with me? We can all hang out. And it's like, even as an animal, you crave that social interaction. And Ben Wishaw's like, get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) You are bad. If I may, I kind of want to go into the relationship part of my research now because it just seems kind of relevant to where the conversation's going. But if you want to wrap something up, yeah. totally do I that just first. have one more thing to say about voice and behavior. Okay. I uh, watched this beautiful video essay on this, and it, it is a, a paragraph of quotation, but it's just so beautifully written that I think it's important to say verbatim, if you guys don't mind. Go for it. Okay. Cite your sources. Yes. <laughs> These are not my own knowledge, okay? Yeah. It's definitely the correct people should be credited for their work. Yorgos Lanthimos is a unique, absurdist voice, and part of that voice is his ability to direct actors against their instincts. Performance is by nature an outward expression, even when it's subtle, but by reeling his performers in, Lanthimos is able to amplify the effect of his text by making us, the audience, lean forward and search for the truth in his characters. Sometimes that means seeing a reflection of our own loneliness behind words and actions that must be contained. Sometimes it means finding nothing but our worst impulses even in close-up. In either case, it forces us to engage and seek out those parts of ourselves we may not always be eager to confront. Ooh. Very nice. And he always does it, like, with so little. Mm-hmm. It, it's exactly that. It's the close-ups and it's you inferring and it's you projecting on what it is that you're seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why he makes everybody talk in monotone and and... and straightforward like that so that we're not kind of distracted by like the emotionality of the characters and we're forced to listen and attribute those certain characteristics to that person without kind of the other things getting in the way. And that's kind of how our thoughts work too. Like my thoughts aren't really coming out in the way I plan to say them. They're just coming out raw. (laughs) And my one note on that because it's something that I found in in why he asks actors to voice things the way that they do and Rachel Weisz who we don't see until the hour mark. She does everything through narration and I found a great interview where she talks about where she talks about Yorgos's choice to direct her that way. And he was like, so you're gonna do it all over narration. And she didn't want to be doing too much given like what the actual text was saying. And she said, so you want this delivered kind of anti-Terence Malik? And Yorgos immediately said, yes! And just the fact that they're like, like that's a colleague and she she's like willing to voice that opinion of like, you want what that guy's doing? The opposite. And Yorgos wow. is like, exactly! <laughs> And it's how I can relate to an absurdist piece like The Lobster and yet Tree of Life. I was like, yeah. like you and your grandiose things yeah. because he is so big on voiceover, Terrence Malick is. And she said, but it's all about lyricism for him. And it's all about, you know, kind of poetic, like bringing it all into light. And it's like, but that's not how humans talk. And that's like, we're not as eloquent as we want to be. Yeah. Jessica Chastain, like talking over like a shot of a dinosaur is just not realism. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I need that shot of like a Rachel Vice describing all the dirty things her and Colin Farrell would yeah, do based yeah. upon hand signals <laughs> and told in just a so matter of fact way. And that's like how I can so get on board with yeah. everything this man chooses to do. Yeah, agree. That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, some the only two chunkier things, but I found this one cool video that was talking about the four attachment styles of love. And then I found this other article that was talking about 
um, how child relationships work and like where they stem from. So I'm going to kind of talk about both of those things because they were just so in the vein of what you were just talking about. So I'm going to kind of skim through these, but the four attachment styles of love that they highlighted is secure to high emotional intelligence, which is number one, says that this is somebody who can evaluate and overcome their problems easily while obtaining Mm self-confidence. Number two is anxious and preoccupied, people who romanticize and fantasize relationships looking for someone to save them or who they can save. They often overanalyze and mistake turbulent relationships for passionate relationships. Third is dismissive avoidant. These people are emotionally distant. They often seek space from their partner uh, to avoid being vulnerable, and they often fake being unaffected by a relationship ending because they don't want to put too much stake in the relationship. And then the fourth one is fearful avoidant, which is people who are afraid to be too close or too far. They often have predict- unpredictable nature or behavior and mood swings because they're, they'll be clingy one day and too distant the next. Mm. Basically what I was going off of for this is that it kind of seems like the only way that people are falling in love is by finding someone within their own category in this movie. Like, I, th- I would totally group... Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz as both being in the anxious, preoccupied state where they have this really romantic view of what their relationship is going to be. But as soon as there's a rift, what are you going to do? Exactly. And that's the note that I had is it's like, well, one small thing kind of ruined this fantasy and now he may or may not have totally dipped on her. That's pretty much all I gathered from that, but I just thought that was interesting because... That is so cool. And and they said, too, like, these aren't distinct categories. You can have bits of all of them as well. Oh, for sure, because as soon as you but... started describing one, I was like, a heartless woman, but that <laughs> yeah. she can't even function that way. And then yeah. also, like, the, the woman who launches herself off of totally. a fourth-story window. I mean, she's... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, like, match people exactly, but yeah. uh, that's humanity. <laughs> and I think even the first one, which seems like the perfect human, can still be distant. Like, they can have this higher emotional intelligence and still, like, maybe not be portraying their affections back the right way or something. Oh, yeah. I wonder which one I am. <laughs> oh, God. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> we are all, all of them. I don't know. Yeah, I, can, I don't want to look into that. I don't either. <laughs> That's a can of worms I'm not ready for on this Saturday afternoon. <laughs> um, but then the next part, which is what I was more excited to talk about, because it was really just this one thing that kind of sparked my mind to go on this whole tumbleweed, like, snowball effect. So I'm just kind of going to talk about how I thought of things. So basically it was saying that the whole psychology behind childhood relationships have to do with kids' relationships to their parents. Because that's, like, the first relationship you have, unless you have siblings and you have that too, of course. But your parents are kind of teaching you what relationships mean and what kind of effort you're supposed to put into them. And they're the ones who are going to teach you how to behave. So what that made me think is that in this universe, parent-child relationships are probably very different than they are for us in modern-day America. Because, you know, we are being raised in a certain way where we're allowed to be kids first. And then, yeah, as we get older and we start being interested in you know, sexual or romantic relationships, then your parents are going to start easing you into it. Again, there's no deadline on it, at least in, you know, modern American culture. Whereas in this world, they're probably at a very young age taught the mathematical and scientific ways to get a mate because it's a need to survive situation. This is what they're going to grow up thinking human connection is like. And if we really even start to dig into that more, 
when I'm five or six, I am not at a mental place where I'm going to understand love. I am not at a place where I am going to understand all the complexities of a relationship. And if somebody is telling me in a very mathematical way from a very young age how it is that I'm supposed to attract someone else, I'm never going to develop a natural relationship. It will always be forced. And then that just spiraled me into thinking, it's why when they go to this hotel, everybody like we've seen is just very, you know, they're straight to the point, like, do you have this in common with me? No, okay, moving on. And the only time characters truly fall in love is when they turn off their inhibitions and they're loners. So this mm. society totally fucks you because if you fall in love the way that really you should be and the only way you truly can, which is not in a mathematical way, not in a, like, pre-planned way... You can't because you're a loner and you're not allowed. But then if you go the reverse, like, you're not really falling in love because you're just kind of evaluating someone and deciding they check all your boxes. Mm -hmm. I don't think this world gives anyone the opportunity to develop interests. Mm. It is not a world of, of uh, finding your mate based upon what you like. It's a world of finding a mate based upon your own innate abilities or disabilities. Yeah. If you're not finding somebody who limps because that's the thing everyone points out and says that you do... Uh, because there's way more to that character, mm -hmm. and we don't know what anyone's interests are. I mean, even when it, it comes down to, like, Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz's characters, like, finding common ground and what they like to do, like, they first like to listen to music and dance together, because that's what the loners like to do, but then later when she's blinded, it's like, oh, let's play Touch, Guess, Think, Win, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that's, like, all that they can do together, and then, um, something in this world that I'm kind of puzzled by and would love to hear your two cents on is... Uh, like, we talked about how the woman who says her defining characteristic is her smile, and I was like, mm. I don't think she's going to end up with anybody, because everyone's so self-deprecating, or it's like, they just wouldn't yeah. be attracted to that, instead it's about something that they can more find in common ground with. The couple that we really see together for the longest time is the couple that is together because of their voices, the, like, hotel managers. Oh, oh. Like, that's their defining characteristic, and it just makes me wonder, like, well, how did they find the time to, like, study music or anything like that? Mm. But someone else who does that and who does not turn on their spouse and shoot them in the face is the loner leader's parents. They are together, and they like oh, to play yeah. music together, and I read somewhere that their music is really kind of opposing, but it complements it. They're not sitting there playing the same song the way that the hotel managers are, where they're yeah. singing the exact same thing together. They're playing, like, different instruments that complement each other, and their relationship seems to be happy. Mm -hmm. And also, like, their daughter's a loner, so I'm wondering if maybe, like, at some point they were, and maybe they fell in love and tricked the system and are actually mm. genuinely in mm. love. Just because their relationship seemed different than yeah. other people's. Mm -hmm. Or even that they're developing interests together. Maybe neither of those yeah. people cared about music and they got bored in this weird dystopian world and decided, hey, what would be fun for us to do together? Yeah. Like, how can we bond on something other than short-sightedness? But I think you can only do that once you have that security of, yeah. no one's going to kill me or turn me into right. an animal exactly. at any second. Now I can have a hobby. The pressure's off. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that your life, it's so sad, your life really can't begin until you have a mate. Yeah. Which is devastating because... Like, our world, it's, it's enjoy your singlehood. Like, um, it's find yourself first. Find yourself first. And there, there's a lot of debate over um, whether or not this is, like, a, a commentary on, oh, our world is too much about finding a mate. And in some ways it is. Like, totally. I'm sick of my, my relatives being like, where's your boyfriend? <laughs> Don't have one. My, my mom said that to me today. You're like, I got other priorities, <laughs> guys. Do you think that you can have children in the next five years? I was like, what? <laughs> Jesus. Five years? Yikes. 
But our world is not so hung up on it to the point where, you know, at any second I'm, I'm going to be stripped of my apartment and all my belongings <laughs> and my career. <laughs> and my human form. Yeah, I can live as a spinster. We all can. No yeah. one's going to harm us. Um, <laughs> no one's going to punish us, except, yeah. you know, in like a shamey way. But yeah, that's, that's something that uh, is great commentary in this film. Yeah. Where should we go next? <laughs> Maybe things that can uh, tie into other things we want to actually That's talk what about. Thinking, what yeah. do you guys really have to say about cinematography, color theory, anatomy of a scene? Uh, next, I would like to kind of come off that with a, a few comments about scene anatomy and symbolism. Because cool. I think that the things that I discovered kind of tie into what you were just talking oh, about. Um, on the first day where everybody sits in the breakfast room, mm -hmm. um, everyone is sitting alone who's just arrived at the mm -hmm. hotel, they're all facing the same way, and they're facing the room with all the couples in it. Yeah. And that's kind of motivation <laughs> to find that's the so mate. Yeah, it's messed up. Look at all those happy people, you stupid idiots. <laughs> I have found out that they... fun buttering your toast <laughs> with one fucking hand. I actually found out that they decided on that day the setup of how that Ooh, shoot was going that's to go cool. based on the cool. room. And I just, I love things like that where it's, you really can't decide exactly what you want until you're there in the space ready to go. Mm -hmm. And that is very troublesome for filmmaking, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like the nature of the beast. Okay, so then I guess I'll talk about some of the, some of the cinematography things that I found out. I saw that they did not use any studios when filming, all locations. And they also filmed the entire film with natural light. Not to say there aren't maybe some things they went back and edited or put, you know, color gradient mm. on over, but, but they used only natural light for the actual filming. Uh, yeah, it said that they wanted muted colors to portray a sense of dystopia and that they didn't want to have stereotypical, like, futuristic dystopian colors or costumes because they don't want you to know whether it's the past or the future. Um, and then this is just because, like I was saying in one of the earlier takes, that I don't feel like I know very much about cinematography. Like, had a couple film classes and being in theater school, but I never took any kind of cinematography class. So this is probably pretty basic, but it was this video that was talking about color theory in film and the HSB color model, which again, I think is probably a pretty basic model, but it stands for hue, saturation, and brightness, and just how playing with just those three things can create an array of so many different feels, so many different moods, and so many different colors. So they kind of went through different things, like how for pretty much all of the Matrix, there is some form of a green hue, even mm -hmm. when you don't really notice it, and they showed a bunch of scenes where because everyone associates green with that movie, but totally. when you really see scene after scene, you realize how much it's truly there. Not only to show you that they're in this computer world, but also that it's a dystopian one, and that's why a lot of the greens are very dull. This is a harsh contrast to another example they used, which was how the Grand Budapest uses very bright colors, mm -hmm. and even when scenes are dark, they're very vivid. And then uh, this one's very muted. Yeah, so this one is very muted. It's a very harsh contrast to that, and... There's also a very big color difference from the first half to the second half mm -hmm. because the first half is very warm and bright and the second half was very cold and dark. So it just shows you how different these two worlds are and how they really are opposites of each other. And the first part has a lot of yellows, tans, whites, light browns. The second part has a lot of blue, forest green, dark brown, black. It's something that's, of course, in the back of everybody's mind when they're seeing it on how different it looks. And it's a total tonal shift. But the fact that you can point out exactly what they're doing with color to make it feel so different. 
Lastly, on cinematography, I found this video essay by Moises Feliciano. It talks about how there's often wide shots theorized to be giving us distance from the characters. Often when we're seeing things that are disturbing or off-putting, we're very far away in a way, I think, to make us feel safe <laughs> and like this bad stuff is happening far away. Um, like, <laughs> this isn't necessarily scary or anything, but when Colin kicks the little girl, <laughs> that's really far away. Um, and it kind of shows in a way that the rest of the world is unfazed by the madness because they're, they're still separated from it and that just seems very commonplace. Very nice. Yeah. So we're nearing the end of our research. Um, to close it out, we are going to talk really at length about theme and yeah. the ending, of course. But before that, I have just a hodgepodge of fun facts from research that I did about sort of random things, cool. um, including Tinder and how Tinder algorithms work. Because really, this hotel is basically Tinder. You are going to one set place to find a mate, and it all comes down to how likable you are and first interactions mm -hmm. and whether or not anyone wants to talk to you. Like, the poor biscuit woman really is trying hard to sell herself to... Yeah. Um, Colin Farrell, and it's just not working. And so I kind of wanted to look into what Tinder algorithms are like. Um, and I don't even know how prevalent Tinder is these days. Do people use that? I think people are still using <laughs> it. I think people still... I, I think, I'll just like, say dating apps. I was yeah, say there's dating just so apps. many dating yeah. apps now there's so that many I think dating apps. people there's are also using like, like six. Different cultures by which app you choose. True. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think that Hinge is more like long-term relationships nowadays, and like Tinder is for like hookup culture. Yes, yeah. and then... Bumble is about safety, I think, and, <laughs> and Coffee Meets Bagel is about people who like to write essays about themselves, apparently. And it's funny because that didn't used to be that way. It was like, Tinder, you go there and who knows what you'll find, but now that people are kind of just owning it, like, I'm here to fuck, what you want? Yeah. <laughs> Keep swiping if you're not interested. So, um, what I found, though, is that pretty much your matches are kind of based upon how desirable you are. If you are constantly swiping yes to people, but no one is swiping yes to you, Ooh. you go way down and wow. you just aren't paired with people who have, it's pretty much that like an sucks. Uber situation. Like know. you don't see what your five star rating is, but you have one. And so if yours keeps going down because of how much time people spend on your profile, how long you're matched with them, or whether or not you've been selected at all, you're kind of tossed to the bottom of the barrel. And especially if you're constantly saying, like, I super like you, or yes to you, but no one's doing that to you, and it's just heartbreaking. Wow. <laughs> wow, that fucking sucks. <laughs> that may, it, like, the, the harder you try, the worse it gets for you. Pretty much, but, but at the end of the day, too, and it's just kind of like, you know, if you're constantly on it, and you're constantly swiping towards people, it's like, the more you put into it, the more effort, maybe you're getting better matches as well. Mm. So I think that's how they kind of level the playing field, like, maybe if um, it's like a percentage thing, like, what percentage of people have even seen your profile? Yeah. but uh, very quickly things can go very south wow. which is sad because in this hotel world who wants to hook up with the guy who had his hands stuck in a toaster this morning right <laughs> because you know everyone just kind of sees your damage and um, on top of that he's got a lisp and he looks like John C. Riley because he is John C. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> I mean I would have bolted straight for that man if I was in the hotel also um, let's just like address the elephant in the room Chubby Colin Farrell still so fuckable. <laughs> oh, oh, I had a fun fact about that. I, I have just so many like little things. Nosebleed Paul would have totally danced with him, <laughs> right? He is so oh, he's so good. And I, I saw an interview where they gave him like the typical woman question of like, so how did you gain all that weight and then lose it all? And he goes, Do you want to know the secret? Uh, I ate. And then I ran. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not giving into this bullshit at all. He yeah. was like, I ate a lot. 
ran a lot. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and I was like, you, king, Love do it. it. But also in terms of, of, of human mating rituals and everything, and also I didn't realize it, but the 45 days you're in the hotel, that is your mating season. Mm. Is, is just kind of, that's how long you get, and you can extend it, but a lot of mammals do have a similar mating range of, like, the mating season is only a month that every every animal gets together, and yeah. it's either you find a mate and you procreate, or you don't. Um, because that's just how animals work, too. It's in seasons. Um, it's not like you have as long as you need. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... So do you think that's why they chose 45? I think that the 45 is pretty random. Oh, okay. uh, I don't think that there was very much to it, because I tried to look up, like, different mammal seasons and how mm. long they extend for, and I, I got a few that were the length of a month. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a month plus a little bit of leeway, uh, but we had a discussion of, like, 90 days would be more fair, it seems, right. but, like, six months, you'd get so lazy. Yeah, if it was six um, months, And you sure. just wouldn't try or anything. And humans, we don't have a typical mating season. Mm-hmm. I did find, very weirdly, that most births occur between June and November, and I found oh, that funny. I, I, I know I, that is. I, well, I was going to say, I know that September, the month I was born, is, like, the month for the most birthdays, and I think it's because most people fuck on New Year's. Oh, really? Because yeah. I'm thinking, like, Valentine's Day, and then, like, Ooh. a lot of people would be born in November. Yeah. <laughs> My parents. <laughs> that was also then they got married. That's a weird conversation. <laughs> Anyways, but, like, uh, yeah, I have two siblings one in September, one in November. Mm. Um, you're born in September. Yeah. So, like, Kimmy and I are the outliers. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, a random concert they went to or something. Yeah, why were your parents banging in April? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't one of them have a birthday in April? Um. <laughs> yes. Do they actually? <laughs> I, I think my dad, I think. <laughs> I could be wrong. I get nervous about remembering when Aww, my parents' Jesse birthdays are. Jesse and Kimmy are birthday sex babies, right? <laughs> Why are my parents doing it in the summer? It's hot then. I feel like if I had to guess, like just for my own personal like wishes and hopes, I feel like a good mating season would be like a few or several months prior to like all the holidays. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, you find a mate during, like, the spring or summer and plenty of time has gone by that you feel comfortable enough to be more intimate and bring them to see your family, like, during the holidays. around the holidays. I do think, I I guess this can be considered mating because, like, marriage is not an animalistic thing, so let's just connect it to mating. But I was just thinking, like, I think it's pretty commonplace that people think that a lot of people get engaged around the time of, like, the later holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I probably because you're with the family, it's very romantic. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Nostalgia and like, yeah. there's a lot of, um, what's the word you're I'm You're feeling for? in a good mood. Why yeah. not? Why not get engaged? Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, it's also like cathartic because it's like mm. the ending of a year you feel like accomplished or like you're about to embark on a fresh start soon, so why not yeah. start that with somebody that you want to spend your, your life year, with? Yeah, Aww. That's cute. <laughs> but back to Tinder, where love dies. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that, that was a fact that I found about that. And then um, kind of in, like, the other realm of, like, why'd you even bother Googling that, Courtney? Um, I got you some some lobster facts, y'all. Okay. Um, friends was wrong. And, like, I was at Target today, and there was a sweatshirt that was, like, I'm your lobster. Or, like, he's your lobster. And, yeah. and just, like, the idea that Phoebe has, has told this whole generation of people that... 
a lobster's mate for life and like you're always looking for one. Not even kind of true. Not even a little bit true. That, I never watched Friends. Is it like that's something that happens on Friends? She goes, like oh, he's her lobster when and they it, get yeah, back together. It became like a like one of their main things. Like it's not as iconic as like pivot. Yeah. <laughs> um, pivot. But I don't find lobsters endearing or cute. We looked up, like, pictures of their teeth, and we were oh, horrified. Yeah, it's terrible. They and have, like, fangs. the bottom of, like, from the top view, sure, they're fine. But from the bottom view, horrific water spider. And yeah. they're disgusting, and their mating <laughs> ritual is gross. <laughs> what is it? Well, apparently, the, the male lobsters are just, like, serial bangers, and they get to mate with, like, every... Every female in, like, a harem. And only for two weeks at a time. Their love is not everlasting. <laughs> and the it's it's just so patriarchal as well. The female has to shed her entire body and crawl into his shell and be like, house me for two weeks while I get pregnant, please. Oh. Until, like, she's ready to regrow a shell. And then she's like, thanks for the sperm. Goodbye. Ew. And she, like, leaves. And then he's like, who's next? And he, like, opens himself up to another one. Ew, and That's so disturbing. <laughs> so, like, Colin, why do you want to do that? <laughs> Yay! No. <laughs> yeah, they're not in it for the long haul, these lobsters. Uh, and I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and I would not want to be one. Some other fun facts that I found, which I think Kimmy will have something to say about this as well, but we all were like, well, geez, when the production company title cards came up at the beginning, because there are so many production title mm. and companies, and it all lends itself because it is like a French, an Irish, Dutch, a Greek and a British uh, film production company all giving money and putting themselves into this, is that Yorgos did not want this film to feel as though it existed anywhere. Yeah. And he wanted to cast from, like, all different backgrounds. And, I mean, they all ended up still being very white, but we have, like, a British, an American, a French, a Greek, and I think that's really cool that we don't know where we're supposed to be, and it doesn't really matter. So it's, like, very ambiguous time and place. And it just feels like it could be happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that. And before we move on to theme, my last fun fact that I just don't really know where to throw, so I'll say it here. David is the named character in the film, Mm -hmm. but Yorgos had plans for all of them to have names. Oh. And Rachel Weisz, actually, in several interviews I watched, she said, my character did not have a name, and they didn't really have, like, a psychological backstory that I could cling to, so for me it was all about the text. And no, I didn't give my character a name. She is clear on that, that she did not want this character to have a name. She's like, I am short-sighted woman. Uh Uh-huh. And I watched all these different interviews of her saying that, and then it isn't until I watched an interview with a panel of them all, where they're all on it, and she says, well, you know, short-sighted woman, and she's going on and stuff, and Yorgos just very slyly just gets on the mic and just goes, Emma. And Rachel's like, excuse me? And he goes, oh, her name's Emma. (gasps) And just Rachel, like, took it so well, she, like, giggled, and then she turned to Colin, and she goes, David, nice to meet you. My name's apparently Emma. And they, like, shake hands, and he's like, yeah, they all have names. Her name's Emma. And just, can you imagine, like, maybe she never asked, or maybe he never told her. I would have taken it so personally. I would have been like, why didn't you tell me my name was Emma? (laughs) He's like, her name's Emma. It wow. Is. And I loved that. I kind of want to understand the reasoning behind... She seemed adamant about not wanting her character to have a name. That's just like... And I, I think that that shows, like, integrity to how she views the text from Yorgos Lanthimos. And yeah. I think I, I think it's kind of upsetting that he would kind of, like, side-swipe her. her and be like, oh, yeah, well, I actually had a name for it the whole time. And, like, know? why even give her one, Yorgos? I have mixed What's feelings your name about, about it because... <laughs> No woman is named short-sighted woman, so I kind of am like, Rachel, you should have come up with a name for your character. Yeah, yeah. personally, as an actor, I, I always find a name for my character, even if it's not yeah. scripted. Exactly. I get that Rachel, like, she had to really 
emerge herself in Yorgos's world yeah. and be like, if he wanted me to have one, I would have one, and then just deal with, after the fact, him being like, oh, it's Emma. <laughs> yeah, I just guess that my, my logic would have said, if David has a name, that means this is a universe where, where people have names. Mm-hmm. I'm not some heathen who didn't get a name if other people do, so... Mm-hmm. Everyone has one. Everybody has one. Yeah. So I I would have asked. (laughs) Or I would have come up with one my own, and then when he's, you know, boldly on a panel, it's like, your name's Emma. I would have been like, actually, it's Rachel. Personally, like I said, I would pick a name for myself, but I think that her reasoning for not wanting to choose her own name, I think, supports her view of the text. So, I don't know. I I think Oh, no, I agree as well. You but know? they are human. They need yeah. names. Of course. I'm yeah. conflicted. It kind of, in a way, is. I think it's rubbing me the wrong way because it almost seems like methody to me. Like, I can't give her a name because she doesn't have one. It's like, no. She yeah. does. Oh, it's like that Emma Stone sketch where she, she's like, she's like a woman who gets cheated on. And she, <laughs> she takes it so personally. She's But even she is like, Denise. I would yeah, be named yeah, yeah. Denise. It's like, you just kind of have to do that. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to our final thoughts on theme, and just so much, there's so much to unpack here. Yeah. Uh, What do you guys think the major themes of this story are? Um, Yorgos films always seem to kind of take place in a kind of parallel universe that's Mm -hmm. similar to ours, but that have strange rules that disassociate us from it. And as a viewer, you're never really able to fully settle into the space or the characters, you know, and, and the world that they inhabit. And the rules, much like the film, are not straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of a great way to unpack this film is somebody who is constantly up against the rules and boundaries of their world and kind of navigating through that. And these people are really ruled by societal boundaries, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's forcing them to rebel. Yeah. Before I share what my own thoughts were on it, I watched so many different interviews with the actors and at different points along the press tour they say they don't know what the film is about and they also say like I haven't seen the final version of it so I couldn't tell you what it is because I don't know what he was trying to say at first and then after having watched it they uh like Rachel said that it's about competition it's about like survival of the fittest and it's about kind of like making your way through people to to get what you need which is to stay alive essentially yeah um but later both her and Colin said that it is a romance, and it's Yorgos's version of a romantic comedy, yeah. mm-hmm. but it is all about love and how love is about defying all odds. They both yeah. said that in different words about, against all odds, these two found love, and despite everything that was going on, these two found love. But then they've also said, like, actually, it's, it's about kind of, like, cult mentality, and it's about uh-huh. how, like, we are all kind of subject to what's around us, and we fall victim to it, whether it's the extreme of obeying everything, or like Kimmy said, disobeying it. Because even when you disobey everything, you get swept up in, like, the loner leader. Right. And all of her crazy rules. And she still has rules. And Mm -hmm. she still is violent, and she still is going to hurt you and maim you if you've done something wrong. And it's kind of just about how, like, no matter what, we are are victim to the system. Yeah. And we can't escape that. We have to conform. There is some system waiting for you, even if you escape that system. Right, and even if you you turn into an animal, there's predator and prey, and there's there's a chain of command, and there's instincts you're just gonna have now. Yeah, exactly. I think that we all kind of touched on this and expected this, but I think that it it has to be said that um, Yorgos is is very adamant about the fact that his films often leave the audience with questions. Mm-hmm. And he says that, you you know, you kind of do this work because you have questions yourself. Which I think is really cool. I think a lot of filmmaking is understanding things for yourself and kind of 
expressing your beliefs on certain situations so yeah. you can better understand it for yourself and for others. That's and why it's kind of hard to relate to people who have such conviction in their beliefs sure. because yeah. you just want to find some common ground of we don't all know anything yeah. and you're asking questions and you're trying to prove that you know an answer but at the end of the day do you really and that's why yeah. I love his ambiguous ending of yeah. just like well actually humanity exists and we're never going to know mm-hmm. and um, exactly and that's yeah. like that's basically what he's saying is that he knew that he was making this film in a way where people can experience it in different ways and interpret it in their own way and that everybody's answer is pretty much valid yeah mm. One of the biggest things that I, well, at least that I learned from going to theater school is that everyone is going to play a role differently, even if it's the exact same role. Like, the experiences that me, Kayleen, has had in my life are different from the experiences that Kimmy has. So a character has to filter through me before they can come out for you to see them. So even if we're looking at the same script... And, you know, a director can tell me, no, I want something a, a different way than that. Mm-hmm. But it's still coming out of me and not out of Kimmy. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, when we are taking in a film, it is going through the filter of everything yes. I have experienced in my life. And it's going to come out differently than you two. And that's why it's so cool to watch stuff like that. And this. what's great, too, is none of us have had experiences similar to The Lobster. But we're, <laughs> we're, going, to, cool. we're going to project and filter through yeah. ourselves because... We're never going to have this hotel experience, and we're never going to live in a world where you can be turned into an animal. Yeah. But that's great that we are still able to have an imagination and to feel playful in that regard and talk about it. I would like to propel this discussion on theme with a question that I found from somebody. Uh, This person says that the um, premise left in the ending leaves the viewer with an important question regarding love. Is it ingrained in our humanity, or is it a social construct? I think that human connection is for sure ingrained in us, Mm -hmm. but I think that the way we go about it is social. Mm -hmm. Especially because love is real, even if you want to get down to the point of being like, actually, it's a chemical reaction in your brain. (laughs) Well, what's more real than science? (laughs) Science says I like Kimmy and Courtney, what of it? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like going off of what you said about filtering our life experiences with how we take this film, how anybody takes this film, it kind of makes me upset with how I think about the ending or what I believe to be the ending. Like, what does that say about... <laughs> is that he dips. Yeah, is that he dips. And what does that say about my belief in love and, and, and relationships that, you know... What? Yorgo said, this film is for people who are really pessimistic or really optimistic. So you're one of those two, Kimmy. <laughs> because, because I came up with that idea just from watching it but I'm like if this is connected to like my life experiences like fuck. As we discovered when we talked about it I never had that same reaction you two did. I thought the answer is he lies and they stay together forever and you both were like excuse you no. What I like (laughs) is that none of us think he poked his eyes out. Now I gotta talk to that person and see what they've been through. Right? (laughs) Well that's what I would do. (laughs) This isn't fulfilling at all but Colin Farrell offered that there's three endings to the option. And it's all three we came up with. Yeah, it's yeah. all the uh, three that we came yeah. up with. Yeah. They're so smart. That he oh, did oh, it. No, I took a picture of it. Oh, really? <laughs> it's fine. Oh. I, I'm just mad because I forgot I had a screenshot. Oh. It is something that the, the interviewer was very taken aback by and surprised because, if I may, mm-hmm. Colin says, honest to God, part of me thinks he does it. 
then part of me thinks that the camera cuts back to Rachel Weiss, and I'm already in a fucking Uber heading down the road as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> and the interviewer's like, huh? And he goes, and part of me goes to the third option. And the interviewer says, what? Which is what? And he says that he doesn't do it, but he goes back to her and tells her that he did. What the And I was F, like, that's what I thought all along. And that's funny because Kimmy and I had the first two thoughts, and then later I had the other thought. So all three of us make up one Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've ever wanted, honestly. Yes. Any other thoughts on um, just other themes that went into it for me? And um, I like that we all talked about this because I thought there's one side of it which is about competition, but the other side about of it is just wanting to feel supported and or connected and or together yeah. and or part of a unit, whether it's John C. Riley wanting to, in his animal life, which he kind of sees coming, he wants to have a friend. Yeah. Um, or it's about Ben Whishaw, like, faking a nosebleed for the rest of his life because that's what he needs and also because of that that faking a nosebleed there's something in here too that's about sacrifice but it is about blood it's Mm. about Mm -hmm. like i read that it's about the blood sacrifice of like i guess i'm just gonna keep hitting my nose every day and have blood come out in order to have somebody and then with colin it's about you literally have to cut your eyes out and you're going to bleed in order to be with this person forever and it kind of, that just goes back to, like, something so prehistoric yeah. of just, like, no, it has to be about a blood sacrifice Ew. in order for us to, to get what we need or to get what we want. Yeah. Which is interesting, too, regarding the psychopath. She is never breaking any rules in this world. You're allowed to kick a dog to death, uh-huh. and you're allowed to like blood, and you're allowed to like violence because... It's just inevitable. And you are allowed to never pick a mate as long as you're kicking loner's ass. As long as you're doing that. As long, like, that's her sacrifice is I'm going to keep, like, sacrificing other people so that I may stay in this hotel forever. Yeah. I think that she has... She's kind of cheating the system. She is. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because one of my biggest uh, issues with the way that this world works is that what if you're coming to the hotel at a time where the person that you're supposed to be with isn't going to be there? Yeah. Mm. You know, and then they come uh, the next time and you're already an animal, you know? It doesn't doesn't seem fair because it's like, maybe this group of people, the person I'm supposed to be with is not here. Ooh, you know? but this also <laughs> takes us into, like, this territory of that's just how life works. Maybe the person you're supposed to be with is married, and then by the oh. time they're divorced, you're married and you're never together. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did say something online that um, it, it is interesting that they offer at the beginning either a heterosexual or a homosexual oh, relationship. Yeah. Some people were theorizing online that she's actually gay. And even though they offer oh. that, I didn't see any, like, gay couples. Yeah. I didn't either, yeah. And I'm wondering, and I, I feel bad if, like, there were gay couples and I just didn't see it. But, um, yeah, we see, like, two couples get together and they're heterosexual. So it's like, she might have said that at the beginning, but um, now she's like, well, where are all the women? What am I supposed to do? Or what if you go, you say that you're homosexual, and then all the women are straight? Then what? Exa- exactly. Like, I literally I think don't that might have happened to her. So now she's she has to, like, lay there as Colin, like, drills her. And she, <laughs> she clearly didn't look happy. But then again, maybe she's asexual and is never going to be happy and doesn't yeah. want that. Yeah, that's um, true. My favorite Letterboxd review of this was like, you're telling me that I get to live in a hotel for 45 days where I don't speak to anyone, and at the end of it, I get turned into a house cat? <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. And it's like, yeah, that's the introvert's way of looking at this yeah, and being yeah. like, dig it. Yeah. I also like that they say, like, that option is no longer available about bisexuality. <laughs> like, what was the problem with it? They are like, mm-mm, too free. They no, say no. it. They say it. We had some... We had some problems. They had it's some no kind of, available. like... Yeah, program they just say they had some problems? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a bummer. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I don't like how there there is the whole 
I do like it, but it sucks that this world is just about you can't have a middle ground. Yeah. Even if you want to go be with the loners where you think you're free and wild, no, it's there's still the exact same rules. You have to be a loner as opposed to you have to be a couple. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. way you can't have a half-size shoe. I caught something that was also interesting about the psychopathic woman uh, when he decides that he's going to get on her level and he's going to act like her. Uh, first, we see him like standing over the woman who who jumped off the... Yeah. Uh, who jumped and who's bleeding out and he's like, mm, gross. But do you guys remember the first time that he speaks to her and like when they get together? In the hot tub? Which is boiling water, like what a lobster would climb into. Ew. <laughs> 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 wow. So it's like he either is sacrificing himself to become a lobster or it's, I better get into this boiling water with this psycho. <laughs> who might kill me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That, that is, is so interesting. interesting. Um, all right, our boys over at Take 3 AMP, they like to say what their favorite quote from the movie was, and so we all came up with our favorite quotes. Yeah. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. So this one is more about the scene and and the discussion we had after this line, but my favorite quote is, 14 is a very impressive score. Is that yours? That was my honorable mention. Oh, okay. Because it ties to my actual one. Oh, okay. Yes, go ahead. Um, I just thought that was really funny because... Yeah, 14 is impressive on a 1 to 15 scale, but it isn't really when you're talking about the love of your life. No. And when, especially you're in a gunpoint situation, if someone says, on a scale of 1 to 15, how much do you love Courtney? I'm going to say like 127, because (laughs) don't shoot my friend. And he says 14, and she just says 14 is a very impressive score. I think that's hysterical. Especially because 15 is such an arbitrary number. Like, why? Yeah. Why not 10? You would think she'd go for 10, which even still is a ridiculous way to measure your affection for someone. Right. Mm -hmm. Your your lifelong spouse, no less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then what was your quote that was before that? That was my favorite quote because of how funny it is. And also because it really ties to the quote that is my favorite that I just find kind of gut-punchy, and it's very similar. It is it is literally like the same idea of what that guy is saying in a flipped way because you think it's a so much, there's so much love there, and it, it's just heartbreaking when Rachel Weisz has been blinded, and she's in the woods with the knife out, and she's like trying her best to stab whoever's coming close, and she said, why did you have to blind me? You could have blinded him. Oh. And it's just so sad because even even in this like perfect romance that we think we've got here, it comes down to it and it's like we are all selfish and, and we we could have had this world and we could have they could have defied all odds, but it, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you just you want them to be successful and you want them to, to be happy together, but they took away her eyes. That's yeah. so mean. And then to top it all off, she has to like have this internal struggle of of wondering why she she risked it all for him. Yeah. It's so sad. I love that line though. God, especially if he leaves her. Exactly. Especially yeah, and then it was totally not worth it. A fun fact I found is that on set Rachel Weiss was like, This is a mistake, right? I'm not supposed to say this. Did you mix up the wording? And Yorgos was like, That's your line, say it. And she just kind of felt really sad that she had to as yeah. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, my favorite line is when he gets to the loner camp and the loner leader says we all dance by ourselves. That's why we only play electronic music. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I, it's such a funny thing, and yeah. it's like, and then I kind of thought about it because I do attend a lot of electronic dance music <laughs> festivals and concerts, yeah. and I hate dancing with somebody else when you go. You can't. It's so energetic and yeah. so like for your own experience. Like yeah. you, you don't. It's not romantic. You don't dance with somebody else. You yeah. Know? yeah. And honestly, like there's gonna be some people there that are so uh, high on drugs that they don't <laughs> notice anyone else around them. <laughs> 
And that party in the woods looks like a time. Yeah. It, it does, it does. Yeah, yeah, the hard cut to that, too, after the scene with the couple is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so to talk ending, and it'll probably be brief because we have talked about what our own personal thoughts are on it, there were some really interesting things that I found. Did you know that there's a post-credit Easter egg? What? That we, like, didn't wait for? Yeah. No, what the F? Yeah. What? Can uh, we watch it really quick? Uh, it's, it's just a, it's sound. Oh, it's just sound? Yeah. It's, it's literally like an Iron Man tinkering away. Oh my god, what is it? Is it like a squishing sound? It is the sound of the ocean. Oh no. And if he left her, then that would mean that he got turned into a lobster. Oh. Because he wouldn't have found anybody. Or it could mean that they live happily ever after and they go visit the seaside together like they wanted so to. So it's still, he wasn't really <laughs> But isn't that cool? Interesting. Damn, but can't... isn't that cool, though, that, that cool. after you watch all the credits, there's waves and you hear the sound of waves. Maybe yeah. he escaped, he dipped on her ass, and then the fucking hotel people caught him and then they and turned him into... And he would get turned into, into a lobster. Well, he would probably not, though. He'd probably get turned into whatever his least favorite animal is. Which leads us to... What was he turned into? Because in this film, there is a quote of, I turned her into the animal no one wants to be. Because that's, didn't they say, like, that's a punishment or it's something? a punishment, sort of. If yeah. you're found that you're lying in your that's relationship. Yes. Okay, so we all picked something and we're going to write it out like we do with our scores every week. And reveal it at the same time. Yeah. Three, two, one. Dude! Dude! Yes! <laughs> Human? <laughs> That's Kimmy funny. and Keelan, you both picked? A goldfish. That's funny, I was worried you were going to pick that, Courtney. Goldfish. Wow. I have so much reasoning, which are probably the same things that you said. Yeah. So, I also had a thought, which, like, this isn't a choice, so I didn't put it on here, but I had this thought of, like, how funny would it be if they say, like, you're going to get turned to the animal no one wants to be, and then they go, like, oh, no, a snake, and then they're like, yeah, mm-hmm, that. Like, they, they make them say what that you know, oh, what theirs yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, okay, so my, my, my main reason is that I was thinking, like, what's a really basic bitch animal? Because that would be something that people just would, like, regard as kind of, like, the disposable animal. Nobody, it, it seems like something in this realm that they would not want to be that because it's, I don't know, it's kind of the poster child for not being important. You can win them for five cents or you can mm -hmm. buy them, like, for food for other animals. They're not very smart. I don't want to say all my points because Kimmy also picked it, so I'll let you yeah. say some stuff. I, I thought that it was probably a goldfish because I thought, you know, what's, what's a really scary animal that maybe somebody doesn't want to be? But in reality, scary animals are really magnificent. You and you know? can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, you can't. Um, just because we don't like them doesn't mean it's a good animal. And I picked goldfish because they live in solitude, and when you die, you flush them down the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, like, a lot of kids have them. I had one as a kid that I accidentally killed the first day. Same, same. And I think that they're probably an animal, too, where if you don't accidentally kill it right off the bat, you care about it for a second, you think you like it for a week, and then you're over it. Yeah. You realize the fish is not that fun of a pet. And they don't really have any kind of humanity that other animals seem to have. Like, we just kind of think, like, Kiki. She has her whole personality, and we interact with her, like, as a loved one. Goldfish, they don't they don't have concepts of things like that. No. What's the point of being one? That is really sad. Isn't it sad? Nice, Kimmy. Good I, job. I feel left out. <laughs> I think that they turn you back into a human. Because in this world... You don't procreate, it seems like. Instead, you are given children to solve your marital problems. And, and, and it's not even a baby. Like, they give that couple, like, a full-grown child. Yeah. 
and even um, the loner leader, when they go to visit her parents, she has a different accent than them, implying that she was not theirs from birth, and um, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of world where, you know, it's like you give them up for adoption, and we have this wonderful foster care system. It seems mostly like to keep the planet going, we, like, reincarnate you, we make you a different person, and we just turn you back into a baby, and you're forced to go through it all again, and oh, you're stuck. Oh, that they would be a baby, like, that's the way that humans are made. That's the way humans are made. Oh. Yeah, that's the animal no one wants that's to be. That's cool. Because you're stuck, and you have to do it all over again. Because my question was going to be about procreating, so yeah, maybe they just don't, and that's mm. how humans are made. Yeah, because it seems like this world is also a lot about pleasure, and so it's like when when they're, you know, having sex and everything, it's just about feeling good, and maybe about connecting, but it doesn't seem to be about building a family because a family, you're just kind of given a child. Yeah. No one has really like seen like with their child that they love so much. Instead, it's kind of like you get a well-behaved child that's ready to go because yeah. they know all the social norms and they were probably raised really harshly. They were raised and, like in a hotel. And like re- in a form of solitude. Yeah. So I like that theory. That's what I thought because it's like, where are all the kids coming from? Yeah. <laughs> in a way, that's a bigger punishment because they even say when they're suggesting what animal do you want to be he says lobster and she says oh like that's you'll get to live your second life as a lobster and that's they don't really see it as as big of a punishment as the humans do it's like well you didn't really do a human very well maybe you'll be better at being a wolf something that i found online and that um i do think did we talk about it about maybe it's a rabbit because those are like whatever the loners all eat. They're just mm. out in the woods, ready to be oh, shot I think again we did at any say time. That. Mm-hmm. And I also like how Rachel Vice says to him, um, "What did you turn her into?" And he says, "That's none of your concern." Yeah. And it's because she her favorite food is rabbit, and <laughs> she doesn't really want to think about eating that woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I like our ideas better. I like just yeah. how they seemed original. I didn't see goldfish really anywhere oh, when I looked at research. Mm-hmm. Um, people people chose things like a pig because that's the next animal we see on screen. I almost picked snake. But I avoided it. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. So thanks again to the boys. That was such a fun treat. And you know what? That was a lot of work, but really, really fun. Yes. So kudos to you for doing that every time. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of pressure. It is. (laughs) It made me really anxious, but I think it's just because we aren't used to it. We've gotten so used to our format that I was like, I don't want to screw it up. Yeah. (laughs) But also, I, I really, like, congratulate them on doing this type of format because I think it really does inspire a greater appreciation for the films and the movies Mm -hmm. because I don't do a lot of research a lot of the time. You know, everything that I learn is from, like, news or if I actually, like, take the moment to go and look some stuff up because I'm curious, you know. I never do, like, a deep dive um, and that's just, that's really nice. And to have multiple brains working on it, finding different things so that I spent so much time finding my stuff, but then I just get your stuff for free. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And just how passionate they are about it and how they really only choose, like, the, the best of the best. Yeah. They do. <laughs> they're out there, like, getting things that there is so much to discuss, and what better way to um, spend time with friends than yeah. to discuss film and really, like, dive deep and think about things. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the day we drop this, we will be able to listen to it, but at this current moment in time, I'm so eager to listen to y'all's episode on uh, Explaining yes. the Lobster. All right, so next week, of course, we're going to be going back to our regular format of We Explain Movies, and y'all tell them what you guys are doing. Courtney and I will be discussing the entire plot of the new film, The Lighthouse. I almost said The Lobster. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell that's where your mouth was going. They're they're both beachy. The the Lighthouse by Robert Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. To Kayleen. I decided I would pass because it's such an ambiguous trailer that I don't know if I'll like it or not, and it's made by the guy who made The Witch, so I'm afraid. (laughs) 
Join us then.